Welcome to the Working Together podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from the people, projects, businesses, campaigns, communities, and so on, who are striving for a more sustainable and progressive world. I call them the archipelagos of a possible future. You'll hear their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and hopefully you'll walk away with some actionable advice to start your own archipelago. Because what the world needs more than anything right now is more archipelagos of a possible future. So have a listen and join me. In this episode, I talk with Devin Plett, who's the co-founder of the Saskatoon Makerspace in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And we talk about this particular archipelago of a possible future, the Makerspace, in particular their Makerspace. And at the end of the episode, I introduce a new segment on the show called Make It Happen, uh, because I believe that the world needs more good things to happen, but too often than not, we stumble at the starting line. And so Make It Happen is a quick praises on making something happen. In this case, the basics of how to make a makerspace. So I'll have a few words to say that elaborate a bit further on some of the ideas that Devin and I explore in this episode at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. And without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Devin and go try something like this in your community. How I like to start all of these conversations that I have with folks uh, is to get a sense of their story, like kind okay. of how they came to this moment, and you know it, whether it was just you or whether it was other folks like uh, Maggie or or Josh or uh, or Jonah or others that are involved in the makerspace here, yeah. whether they were involved or or what that whole story is like, how you guys came to do it, because I think yesterday when we met, you told me it's been going on for about two years, a year and a half, a year and a half, okay. yeah, and you did a tour through Western Canada and Western U.S. to look at other maker spaces yeah. and get kind of some ideas. So I just yeah, yeah, I want to sure. hear all that. Yeah, it all right, great. so um, pretty much why Makerspace started or why uh, we chose to start Makerspace here um, is in high school, I ran a small skateboard company with some friends. Mm. Um, and that company was always just based around like providing a platform for people to be able to like do what they want to do right um i was an artist so i got to do painting and do some graphic design and through that we started you know printing shirts and like looking into printing on our own skateboard decks and mm-hmm. obviously like doing some skate films going on trips and stuff and it was really fun um yeah but, so you're a skater yourself uh, i'm assuming yeah, yeah i mean i actually i actually spend more time filming than i ever spent skating because it was like trying to push something but mm-hmm. yeah i love skateboarding it's really fun um but so through that, I, we got introduced to silkscreen stuff and printing on t-shirts a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was in high school there, we, we had all this like silkscreen equipment. So, you know, I could print transparencies. I could go like use their exposure unit and like do everything I needed to, to print mm-hmm. a t-shirt. They had like the facilities. Yeah, right totally. There, yeah. And that was awesome for us because all of a sudden we started doing like one-offs and, you know, we're in a small mm-hmm. community. So mm-hmm. not everyone wants to wear the same shirt. You know, right? It's like 
you print 25 of a shirt on a minimum order and it's like not everyone wants to wear that because you're selling to a subculture yeah. in a small community <laughs> it's like you, yeah. you match them with your buddies half the time right mm-hmm. um so we got to do one-offs and just started like focusing more on like putting art on t-shirts yeah but then when we left high school i didn't have access to that anymore you know so i was like what right like I started thinking, it's like, how do I get access to this equipment again? So I built, I ended up like building like a, a really messed up silkscreen press and um, just have like two by fours and C clamps and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to like figure out how to silkscreen in my garage. And it just like wasn't working. I didn't know, I didn't like, I tried to watch some YouTube videos, but all those videos are kind of like, yo, you go here and I built this for five bucks mm-hmm. and it took me one day and it's like, you know, all the, the cuts and like video yeah. edits and then like slamming something together and it's, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I can do this. You get all hyped. And then, you know, two days later and like your whole weekend later and a hundred bucks that you spent at Canadian Tire and you still don't have anything. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, like the lessons on YouTube are just these like. The, you know, I've, I've gone down the YouTube tunnel too with things and it's like you really have to watch like 10 different videos or more to kind of piece together what actually <laughs> yeah makes sense for your situation. So, yeah. Totally. And I think there's a way to be methodical about it, mm-hmm. but um, that just was never, never my ability. You know, like I, I love learning from people and people like teaching me, you know, in person rather than on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I was like, that kind of started to spur on the idea is like, I can't be the only one who like wants access to tools, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, I'm a creative person and I want to like do my own thing, but there's a lot of people who just want access to stuff. But like, you know, the startup capital that you need to do is that. just like too high for a hobby, you know, mm-hmm. for, for the average person. Um, so then I got really heavy just in the graphic design stuff and worked as a freelance graphic designer for about a year. And then, um, I was just looking at the screen too much and mm-hmm. I started getting migraines from like looking at the computer screen. Right. So I was like, oh man, I got to pull away from this. And it mm-hmm. kind of made me reevaluate things. I was like, I don't want to spend my life like looking at a computer screen. Cause that's what you need to do as a graphic artist to create like really good art. It's like you just spend so much time mm-hmm. on the screen. Um, I mean, ideally you spend more time drawing, but yeah. So you spend a lot of time on the screen as well. So I pulled away from that and I started woodworking um, and I did a lot of stuff on the lathe. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're in right now. We're in your woodworking shop right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got, see the lathe back there and so, a big table saw. Yeah, that's cool. That's a really cool lathe for me because that's actually the lathe that like I started on and like my grandpa taught me everything I know oh, like, cool. in, in regards to wood turning. Yeah, yeah. So we spent a lot of time in the shop together mm-hmm. and like, a lot of his tools are still kind of scattered around oh, the shop. That's, that's awesome. So it's cool to see, mm-hmm. um, to be able to like every now and then like lathe class is actually one of the stu- classes that I teach still and it's really great to be able to like pass that on, mm-hmm. you know, um, and see people learn and get excited about it. So I did that for a long time, but um, often I would find myself alone in the wood shop all day. And you know, you kind of go crazy, you start talking to yourself. <laughs> you know, you do something cool and you're like, ah, yeah, that's cool, man. You know? <laughs> get hyped. 
And then that's when you know, it's like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> Gotta get some more people in here with me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I didn't want to do that. I was like a social yeah. person and yeah, then I'd yeah. leave the wood shop after an eight hour day of, you know, working very mm-hmm. focused. And I feel like I don't know how to talk to people. Cause I, like, you just like, it's like, it's almost a skill that you can lose. Right. Like so quickly, if you're just focused on something else, mm-hmm. you go to try to have a conversation, just like, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you're just stuttering to try to get something <laughs> up. Yeah. So anyways, and that came in the concept, like, I don't want to be alone as a creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on piled on top of that, it was just like all around me, I saw artisans and artists and they were um, really trying to like narrow in on one thing and become an expert at it, which is mm-hmm. cool. And, but um, they were more than that. They were trying to like monetize what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So they want to make, it's just a weird, a weird mindset where it's like, you, it's easy to fall into it. You can make something, and then all of a sudden, that's something that you make. People like it, and then it turns into a product. And that's what you're doing. That's what you're kind of all about. Even no. though, even though before then, you, you maybe were a little more broad and expansive about the sorts of things See, you wanted to make. That's that's where I started to catch myself because right. I was like, I had created a couple things in the wood shop during mm-hmm. this time, and started turning them into a product into a product and mm-hmm. then you can refine that a little bit but the art kind of leaves mm-hmm. it's like i don't know business is kind of like, like when it comes to artisan stuff it's hard to keep a business and the art alive at the same time it's like mm. kind of where business is like where art goes to die in that case yeah, yeah. Right? interesting yeah um at least for me personally other people can do it and they master it and like and focus in on their art and i've tons of respect for that but um, mm-hmm. it just kind of kills the creative um, desire for me when it you focus in on one on one medium and um, start to sell it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so all this kind of piled up at the same time that um, like our skateboard company stuff was dying out, and like dudes were dropping off the skate team, and it was like, oh, there's not much a point in like trying to mm-hmm. hustle this anymore. Um, and then around that time, my wife and I were actually traveling around Vancouver, kind of like a reverse of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just living out of a camper. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So we just spent the winter in <laughs> Vancouver, amazing. Victoria, living out of a camper. I really liked Devin's idea there um, of, of kind of sidestepping this problem of niching down as a creative um, by basically starting a makerspace so that he had this whole range of things that he could do. He didn't want his art to die by turning it into a business. Uh, you know, I love that quote, business is where art goes to die. It's so true. And starting a makerspace and doing something more communal around art and creativity is a fascinating example of how we can step outside of that common um, idea that that you have to niche down, that you have to focus in on one thing. Uh, And I know a lot of creative people in my circle of friends who haven't done that simply because they don't want to become known as the person who, quote unquote, puts a bird on it in the sense uh, of of that uh, great Portlandia episode where they joke about that. You know, you don't want to become known as the person who just does that one thing. So maybe starting a makerspace or starting some sort of collective of people is an interesting way around that. And we're going to kind of touch on that in this next segment here where we dive into the business model behind the makerspace and how they make it work. 
So stay tuned to that, and at the end, I'll unpack that a little further with some other suggestions from other makerspaces uh, and how they started and how they built their business models around having a makerspace. We found out about this spot called uh, Maker Labs, and they're very much uh, very similar to like what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. Whereas I got a lot of large industrial equipment and some studio spaces and mm -hmm. just a lot of good creative people um, in an awesome environment. So anyways, one of our family members down there had like this desk that they had got made on the CNC router at Maker Labs and mm. was like, hey, I, make, I was like, that's a cool desk. Where'd you get it made? And he's like, oh, I got it made at a spot called Maker Labs. I think you'd like it. Like, And you, that was kind of your and then, gateway drug. Yeah, I was just like, what is it? And then he described it to me, he's like, that's my idea, though, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. how does someone else, is someone else's already doing my idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's great. So, um, that really inspired, like, us to just go around and check out other spots, mm -hmm. and um, really uh, take what we liked and what we didn't like from, that's kind of inspired the whole oh, Western, okay. Interesting. Western yeah, yeah. Canada States uh, Makerspace Tour. And that was a really beneficial tour um, mm -hmm. because they already exist and we could like really look at ones and be like, this is cool how they do this, but it's like on organ organizationally, we don't like how they do this. You right. Know? Or, um, can you, maybe we can talk about it later, yeah. but we can elaborate a bit more on some of those distinctions that you saw. But yeah, please, please go yeah, on with totally. the story. Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, we, we took some things that we liked and some things that we didn't like and um, kind of flushed out, flushed out those ideas and brought it back to uh, Saskatoon and uh, made a business plan and got a loan and went for it. Cool. Yeah. So you basically, you, you put together a business plan and you went to the bank with it and they were like, cool? Yeah, they actually were pretty stoked about it. Wow. Um, yeah. That's so. great. Yeah, because some, sometimes, you know, you think of the bank as like... Oh, they're not. I mean, it took them. Cool. It took them a long time mm. for us to, to like get our loan, like all the money through. Mm -hmm. So that kind of sucked because you're waiting on it for like months. Yeah, and it's just like they're just slow. So, yeah. And did you do fundraising as well around it with with the community, or no. just basically get the loan, get the stuff, get the space, and now you're basically just slowly paying off the loan? Is that yeah. kind of the idea? Yeah, just like any other, I guess, business would. Mm -hmm. Um, our concept behind starting the space was that we could create a fully functional, viable business that would fund um, the membership and the mm. accessibility side of things as much as possible. Right, to keep those costs down as low as possible. Yeah, and right. buy, and like be able to afford um, large-scale industrial equipment for mm -hmm. people who just wouldn't have access to it. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. If you look at our silk screen press, for example, that's like a six color press with micro registration, four pallets. And it's just like, that's a industrial level, like silk screen press, mm -hmm. right? Um, where you get people coming in and they, they want to print like a couple one-offs and whatever, but mm -hmm. they have access to like a really nice printing press that makes it easier for them. Mm -hmm. And, or even kids coming in from high school on field trips and they get to mm -hmm. use this mm -hmm. and get industry experience like right away. Yeah, yeah. And we can afford that because um, custom fabrication stuff that we do. Interesting. Find it. Yeah, yeah. So, maybe also, let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about about kind of how the business model works for you guys here. So, you've got 
you've got the custom fabrication and people are able to come in as members at a, at a lower discount. So is, that, is it just the silk screen or do you have other things that you're also kind of producing as a good or a service that, that folks um, can access? Every tool we have here, we try to put to use. Um, ultimately, every tool can be almost a, like every area. In the, so we got our wood shop, our CNC router, laser cutter, mm -hmm. you know, 3D printer. And there's business models based roughly around each of those tools. Right. You know, so um, mm. whenever we can, we try to use those tools to create revenue so that we can buy crazier tools for our members and fund the space. Yeah, yeah. And so far it's going well, like yeah. over the last few years, yeah. it's been it's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, like it's, uh, we're, we're starting up. Mm -hmm. So there, that has its uh, challenges. Mm -hmm. you know, as you grow, it's like all of a sudden you have to step back and I've never like factor in never had staff before or like right. anything like that so that's all a big learning curve mm -hmm. the whole thing's a learning curve to be honest and but it's good you know it's like as long as you're willing to learn you can yeah well I think that attitude is like it's so great Thank to you. just go out and just jump in and do it um, and kind of take the risk but with something like this and where it's located too like just for the listeners sake it's basically like kind of quite central and, and I think that from my perspective coming from the west coast where real estate is so expensive um, and in Saskatoon where real estate is a lot cheaper I think that uh, central location is awesome like you can literally just walk downtown over here or walk to is this, this is called Riverside right? This, uh, Riversdale. Riversdale right yeah. so this neighborhood is called Riversdale and it's right next to downtown and everything just seems kind of like really easily accessible. So have you guys found that to be a key uh, part of your success? Like people just being able to kind of come to the space? Yeah, big time. And it's in um, more or less the, um, for lack of a better term, the arts district of mm. Saskatoon. So it's, we kind of fit into the, the crowd here in terms of nice. providing a spot for people to make things. Um, but one of the things we took from our tours, like checking out all the maker spaces, mm -hmm. is location is is important, mm -hmm. and also creating an environment that people want to make things. There's yeah. a lot of um, there's maker spaces, there's hacker spaces, you know, and fab labs and all that other fun stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of those spaces that you kind of walk into, and it just is like it's just a warehouse, and yeah. like, the tools are there, and it's cool, but it's like. You can make anything there, but you don't feel inspired to make anything there. Right. Right. So we really wanted to create an environment where someone walks in there like, I, I want to hang out here. I would enjoy making something here and they can sit down and actually get inspired. So, yeah, so that's, that's cool. So location was key when you guys did your tour, um, uh, you know, uh, a space that you could be inspired by to create in. And then you also mentioned um, some of the organizational differences between these places. And you don't have to name any particular yeah, names, yeah. but I'm, I'm curious to hear about, you know, what you learned there about how, you know, because some of these spaces, I'm, I'm guessing, are probably a little more democratic than others, right? Like some are Definitely. a little more like authoritarian and like, here's how you do this and what you can do as a member, whereas others probably a little more open so I'm wondering right so there's like nonprofits, there's like co-ops mm -hmm. and like all these all these different versions of a maker space um, what is that called maybe I'll maybe I'll remember later but um, du duocracies oh okay okay yeah, so yeah. it's like you huh. know you get a membership and 
if a tool's broken, you fix it or you maintain it. Mm. Um, and one of the biggest like hiccups that has is making for so many people is a hobby, right? Like it's a creative hobby that they do on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and you show up to a wood shop for your hobby and you have to fix a tool someone else broke. Right. Or like clean up or look around for 30 minutes to find a tool that someone else put somewhere that's not supposed to be. Um, and that just takes a lot. That'd be like showing up to the gym, you know, mm-hmm. and like having to like fix a piece of equipment before you start to work out. Mm-hmm. Like it's that sort of extra thing, right? Hmm. So um, our goal here is to create an environment where you can come and like the tools are ready and we keep them maintained because right, right. we need we need to for ourselves as well, yeah. right? To remain open as a business. So um, our, our goal is to kind of keep things as well maintained as we possibly can with the resources we have. And that way people will be able to show up and enjoy making more. Interesting. Yeah. No, that's a good distinction. You can kind of see where, you know, maybe the best intentions of that model go astray, right? Because it's like, oh, well, you know, we want people to have an understanding of how the tool works, right? And like, totally. really like understand that. But there's nothing stopping uh, a space from taking a tool, you know, that's broken and actually creating a workshop around fixing it with the totally. guy that you hire to come in and fix it, right? Like, or a girl or whatever like they come yeah. in and they do it and everybody gets a turn to kind of see how it works you know there's there's other ways to get that same thing totally and then and then still have that because it's access it sounds to me like what's really important for you guys is accessibility totally yeah and that's why we do like classes once a month and they're just like mm-hmm. on all the tools that we like rotate through mm-hmm. and workshops and just tours all the time just like whatever we can to get people in and like allow them to get going on what they want to get going on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And just the thing is like some people love maintaining tools and I think in some, in some settings, like a, it's, it's really hard in a, like a, everyone has to maintain this tool and everyone's responsible for this, like the cleanliness of this wood shop. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard in that setting to have it go off perfectly perfectly you know because well, people yeah. aren't perfect and that and then it becomes like a roommate thing yeah exactly. a roommate dynamic which i feel like uh is an important thing to navigate but i guess it just depends on how many things you want to be navigating all at once in a given social situation like this right like and what it sounds like you guys are saying is uh kind of get that stuff out of the way so that people can just come here create be inspired to create and have everything ready at hand to do so so i I like that that's that's a good model yeah it also allows us to scale for growth a little differently right like um if you took one of those models and you blew it up Mm -hmm. you know um it just wouldn't it just wouldn't work that well right yeah yeah if everyone doesn't really know who everyone is kind of Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you have 200, 300 people using the same tools all the time. That's a lot of use on a tool. It's a lot of roommates. Yeah, it's a lot of roommates. <laughs> it's a lot of roommates and everyone might not get a turn in the shower. I don't want to live in that house. Yeah, totally. The hot water is going to run out. 
it's gonna run out yeah totally interesting yeah and and that's what we want to do right we do want to scale these different approaches because essentially like and you know maybe we can do this now we can kind of walk around and look at some of the things and talk about them but you know essentially what's in this room here is a bunch of tools that you would find in your grandfather's shop right or like your father's uh, metalworking shop or whatever they're like they're all here together in this same space and it's such a fundamentally different model than I guess what our parents saw right where they had a two-car garage or whatever mm -hmm. in the suburbs or something and you know over the span of a few years they could kind of amass this amazing tool shop if they were into that sort of thing and just but it's just theirs then right you know and it's, yeah. and it's only geared towards the thing that they were working on so whether it's wood or metal or whatever because you can't afford to have all the all the goodies that you guys have in here. Touching briefly on what you just said is like we do deal with that mentality a lot here. It's like oh, people yeah. come in and you're just like, hey, check out our wood shop, check out this, and oftentimes, you know, um, the some some people will be like, oh, I got all this in my garage. I don't I don't need a table saw. I got a table saw in my garage. And, you know, it's just like. <laughs> It's a weird mentality, and I think that it's beginning to change. But mm -hmm. you're not. I don't. I don't believe that you're farther ahead by owning more stuff. You just have more stuff to maintain and more stuff to mm -hmm. to deal with. Like long term, I think like if you if you broke this down, I mean, um, to buy the basic wood like wood tools in this wood shop, you'd have to work here for twenty years. Right. You know, and in twenty years from now, we're hoping to have a lot more crazy tools and we're going to be maintaining all of them. Mm -hmm. So you don't, in my mind, you don't get farther ahead by owning more stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, if you want to break it down, you can. Okay, so there's a lot there's a lot to consider in terms of what a business model for a makerspace could look like um, but here's some here's some further detail on stuff you you need to be aware of when you're starting out a space like this and I'm basing this info on a little bit of business model generation a little bit of uh, info from artisans asylum uh, a uh, makerspace in Somerville Massachusetts as well as the conversation you just heard um, from Devin and I so costs that is uh, that's a key area to start I think um, you need to think about how much your rent is going to cost your mortgage uh, if you own the space um, or maybe if you're leasing the space how much the lease is going to cost on a month by month basis um, you need to think about building maintenance costs property tax these sorts of things um, and you need to think about your utilities uh, just kind of how much how much resources need to go towards just having the space be a functioning space that people can uh, plug things into and have them run or or feel warm within. I mean that's that's pretty important, right? Um, uh, or get garbage collected from or whatever the case may be. Uh, if you have staff, you have to think about salaries. Um, and if you want to be a really good employer, you want to think about health insurance and benefits on top of those salaries as well. Um, a key consideration for Devon was this idea of uh, of 
needing to maintain the tools. That was that was one of the things that they wanted to do at a staff level, so that members didn't have to worry about it. Um, and uh, and so those tool maintenance costs and any costs around consumables uh, that that get used by tools, those are key things to consider. You need to think about how much you're going to pay instructors to come in and deliver workshops. Um, or contractors to come in and uh, do repairs, uh, uh, you know, work with you on some sort of strategy session if they're a consultant or whatever the case may be, or facilitate some activity. Who knows, right? So there's those kind of costs of bringing outside human resources in. And then this is really important. Uh, this is one that people, um, I don't, you know, people think about sometimes, but sometimes you kind of forget about this. It's insurance. Insurance is a big, uh, big question mark because first of all, you have to find an insurance provider who will actually uh, give you insurance for a project like this, which is, you know, not not something just like a restaurant, right? Which they have policies for and always have had policies for, and they can easily provide you insurance for. Um, but a makerspace is a little different, so um, there's a lot more work that goes into getting an insurance uh, package together, and there's a cost around that too that you need to take into account. And there's other expenses as well to consider, and I'll link to the resources uh, that Artisan Asylum uh, put together. They're very helpful, and you can see some of the other considerations they have. Um, but let's talk about the flip side. The flip side of expenses is income. So how you're bringing in income um, is really key. And that is where you can have a bit more creativity. And you can kind of think through customer segments and think through um, your customer relationships and things of this nature. And I talk a bit more about this um, in this month's um, uh, how-to episode, the first how-to episode of the Working Together podcast which is available if you're a supporter of the show on Patreon at its lowest tier, that's $5 a month, you get this bonus episode. And so in, in this month's bonus episode, I unpack um, this idea called the business model generation canvas using this example um, of, uh, of the makerspace in Saskatoon. So sign up for that uh, and you'll get some information about that at the end of the show. Um, but basically what, what we want to think of when we're thinking about income is we want to be thinking about memberships. We want to be thinking about, in the case of Saskatoon's makerspace, uh, services that they could provide to businesses or anybody who, who wants to have custom fabrication services um, that they can provide using the tools and the experience that they have, right? Um, you want to think about all these different segments, basically, of customers that could you know, you could be providing some sort of value to. Uh, and a lot of makerspaces, they, they tend to just focus on the membership side of things. Even this artisan asylum piece, I mean, they're, they're thinking about memberships and they're thinking about space rentals, like renting studio space and things of this nature. Um, or income from classes and workshops and whatnot. They, has, they have us another example. But really, all those, all those things are benefits to members, or people like members who want to come to the space and access it. But there's other ways that you can think about providing uh, value to somebody based on the resources that you have. And in this case, a makerspace has lots of resources that they can provide services with or products with. 
Um, donations is another income stream. So if you're a nonprofit, you can be collecting donations to help float your boat, uh, as well as, uh, you know, other income. You know, some spaces, uh, Artisan Asylum mentions, they, they sell raw materials and kits uh, to, to build something with those raw materials at a markup, right? So it's kind of almost like the Ikea model. Um, you know, some spaces have vending services for food and drink and things like this that they help, you know, float their boat. Uh, and then there's uh, commissions uh, that you can take from community groups um, uh, that they then use to pay for the space uh, you know, so commissions like, you know, putting in some sort of statue or something like this. There's all sorts of different ways that you can get income and present yourself as a solution to somebody's problem. Um, and for now, though, I just want to leave you guys with those additional considerations on top of, uh, of today's episode. And hopefully they help you get the inspiration you need, the clarity you need, whatever it is that you need uh, to pursue something like this or to add to work that you're already doing on something like this and, and deepen it a little further. So for that, I thank you for your attention and time, and I wish you all the best. And I love you guys. Over and out. You can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash theworkingtogetherpodcast, all one word. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash working together. Your monthly contributions help make the show a sustainable thing. And the best part about it is that you get to join a global community of fellow change makers. An online community of practice, so to speak, for making awesome stuff happen in your communities. Because I don't just want you to listen to these stories. I want you to make your own. Join me.